Hello, welcome to Impersonal Opinion, the podcast where we don't take our opinions personally. And George is going to explain his impersonal opinions about the consciousness and or intelligence of the universe and perhaps answer the question in the last episode about whether the universe is a giant brain. Thanks, Chandler. So basically, you know, in the last episode, we were discussing whether, right, whether consciousness is limited to human beings or other complex and other complex animals, or whether it's um, a property that can be attributable to the entirety of the universe. And the way I want to address this is through this attribute that we define as intelligent. In other words, intelligence. We we attribute intelligence to human beings. You know, for example, we'll write a, a sentence on a on a page or a piece of paper, and we will like define we'll attribute intelligence to that thought, or, or we'll we'll build a computer and that will we'll say that's an intelligent act. Okay, my um my premise is that like for something to de- be defined as intelligent, I think you also have to then define it as conscious. In other words, I, I don't think there can be any intelligence without there being consciousness. Okay, so here's the argument. Um, we human beings will do many intelligent things, but the problem is that we don't have a free will. We can't attribute what we do to our brain because of the causality that um, produced our brain and produced what the brain does regresses back to before we were born, before the planet was created. So it seems that just as with a puppet, you can't attribute uh, intelligence to a puppet, but you have to attribute it to the puppeteer. It would seem that you would have to attribute the intelligence, quote unquote, behind human actions to the causal process that, that initiates them, that again, proceeds before to before the humans were, uh, were born, and, and applying then it to the universe, then I think logically you'd have to follow this chain of cause and effect back to the Big Bang, and I guess, you know, presumably what came before, but like to the extent of our knowledge, I think logic dictates that we conclude that the Big Bang is the cause of, a, of every human act of intelligence, and therefore it seems logic compels us to to consider intelligence an attribute of the universe at the point of the Big Bang, and hence, like, uh, at, at every point afterwards. Does the yes. consciousness uh, precede the Big Bang, or does it come into existence at the Big Bang? Well, Mike, I mean, my, you know, logic, I think, compels us to, to uh, consider that the Big Bang just did not arise just without a cause, that I... You know, I think that, like, you know, there must have been a cause to the Big Bang, and there must have been a cause to that, and a cause to that. And the problem then becomes that this chain of cause and effect keeps going back eternally. It never stops. And so, like, you know, one way that we can kind of, like, reach the conclusion that actually humans aren't intelligent, the universe is is not intelligent, nothing is conscious, is that if we you know, nothing is moral or immoral is, is like, if we can never reach a point, you know, in the past where the universe decided, you know, to, to do something intelligent or do something moral, then I'm not sure we can attribute um, intelligence even to the universe. And I think we need to be consistent too. For example, like, um, 
it like I think any definition of of consciousness that we apply uh, or intelligence that we apply to the universe um, or that we would need to apply in a similar way to the way it would apply in all the animals that we know of, whether humans or other animals, like and what consciousness means, this this awareness and this intelligence, because I mean, I yeah, like for example, my thing is like, I'm really wondering, like, is there an actual thought process of the universe? Like, is it some kind of a brain? Well, Chandler, consider it just from the example of a puppet. In other words, a puppet has no more agency, free agency, than does a human being, right? So like, if a puppet, let's say, you know, it is made to take a pen and, and write an intelligent sentence, is that action, is, is that act of intelligence fundamentally different than a human being taking a pen and writing, you know, um, an intelligent um, thought? I don't think it is any different, really. Right, so in both cases, it would seem that logic compels us to, to attribute the intelligence to this, this causal process, this, this chain of cause and effect. When we give qualities that are usually associated with human beings to things that are not human, I think we have a problem. I think, uh, I don't think it's really a worthwhile endeavor unless there is strong evidence to indicate these concepts are strongly linked. So for example, we can say a human being gets hungry. And we have a very clear idea of what it means for a human being or a living thing to be hungry. <laughs> but then when we start saying, is the universe hungry? Well, there's <laughs> matter, there's matter and there's energy in the universe. Stars are engines because they convert hydrogen into helium at temperatures of millions of degrees and engage in this kind of process. And then we start saying, well, this process is kind of like the process that occurs in the human body. Therefore, stars need nourishment. Therefore, the universe is hungry. I think this is really <laughs> misleading. And I see, and we talked about this before, I've seen a lot of parallels between this kind of thinking and uh, Christian apologists who will, say, will make these blanket statements about the nature of reality. Those, for example, they might say something like, I don't think something can come from nothing. Therefore, God exists. Or they'll talk about the God of the gaps in much the same way George was describing dark matter and dark energy. Oh, All we right, don't know this, therefore... So, to me, I, I, I just can't really get on board with this because it seems like we're using terms inappropriately and okay, without Mitch, sufficient Mitch, evidence. Let me just address your editorial comment. In other words, like, when you say, well, you know, like the Christian fundamentals or something use this kind of reasoning or something. Yeah. I mean, we could apply this to the Nazis. We could say, like, well, the Nazis used a lot of logic in, 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 in developing their, their bombs and their stuff like that. So, like, you know, in other <laughs> words, I'm not sure that kind of imputation works. So, like, the, but the other part, so here's the thing. So your, your point is, is well taken. In other words, like, I don't think the universe is hungry. You're right. But, but I think there's something, you know, categorically different between hunger and intelligence. You know, I think whereas hunger you couldn't attribute to the universe, I think intelligence you can. In other words, like, you know, how do we, let, let, let's ask, how do we define intelligence, an intelligent act? How do we attribute intelligence to something, right? And I think the answer is, through its manifestation, 
not through its mechanism, you know, not through its 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 physicality or 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 you know its structure, but you know we have to see evidence that that we would define as intelligence. So like, let's apply this, for example, to a sentence that we write on a piece of paper. Then we're attributing that intelligence, you know, most approximately to the human brain. The human brain kind of like came up with that. But then we have to think, well, wait a minute. The human brain is the most complex structure of which we're aware in the entire universe. So it seems like that whatever created the human brain, and, and certainly we can't attribute that to, to the human species, is manifesting a huge intelligence. That sounds to me a lot like creationism. Oh, I thought you said revision. Okay, yes. Okay, well, George, George, <laughs> we could use a different word, but we are intentionally using words that have strong connotations for human behavior. This is the part that bothers me and perhaps bothers Mike as well. So when we say intelligence, when we say consciousness, these have really, really strong connotations to human behavior. So that is my only concern. If, we, if you want to use a different word to describe some interesting aspects of the universe, I'd be fine with it. But when you're really, really concerned with using a particular word in a different context, to me, it seems like we're playing a sort of game here, a game of wishful thinking. All right, like Mitch, we I want to describe the universe with Mitch, these I, kinds I, of I think there's something very dangerous in your perspective. In other words, when to the extent that you want to limit um, intelligence to human beings, other, other sciences have tried to do that. The rest of the animal kingdom is not intelligent. And they've extended that to sentience. Many scientists have claimed that human beings are sentient. We can like feel pleasure and, we, and, and um, pain, but other animals can't. And because of that very narrow, misguided, extremely wrong perspective, there's monumental cruelty on the planet toward other animals. You know, we, we refuse to acknowledge that, that cows and pigs and, and other animals can feel pain inten intensely, and they suffer horrifically because of our, you know, desire to, to, to be unique, to, to, to apply this, this idea of feeling and intelligence to human beings, but not to other animals. So, so I think, you know, again, I'm not trying to defend creationism. I'm trying to defend logic. Well, what I would say to that regarding the animal is that regarding the animal cruelty is that uh, panpsychism is not the prescription for um, addressing that issue. There are plenty of other theories of the mind that can address that issue. I don't. I think that panpsychism is a kind of an overreach. It's kind of a. It's an overreaction to. Uh, to addressing issues with uh, animal cruelty, stuff like well, that. Well, Mike, we don't have to go to panpsychism to to um, defend that that animals are sentient. I mean, this is all. This is like there's there's mountainous, you know, neurophysiological evidence to support this. You know, across yeah. various disciplines. Yeah, I mean, my view on the mind would perfectly account for that as well. Right. No, my point was more to kind of like you know that lot both logic and prag pragmatism you know, dictates that we, we not just like attribute intelligence to human beings and a few other animals and just like kind of like not, not understand that like that this, that, you know, the creation of a human brain by this universe, the laws of nature essentially, you know, is, is, is what we would have to uh, consider an intelligent act because it's so much more intelligent than anything we human beings have ever done. May well, why I, not just... Uh... Why, sorry, why not just use a different word? 
Well, what word would you propose? I, well, I, I think you're, I, I let you propose the word because you're very interested. I mean, yeah, see here, I kind of have a counter argument to Mitch here because here's the deal. He thinks that the words such as consciousness and intelligence mean a certain thing in human context and that it's like somehow inappropriate to use them. They have strong connotations is what I would say. And I think that if, in order to avoid that, in order to avoid any misunderstandings about some sort of mysticism or something like that, we should perhaps find a more appropriate term. Well, here, here's another here's a counter argument to that specific thing. If there's a certain connotation that those words have in the human world, what I'm saying is because there's already an understanding of what it means to be conscious, if we can extend that into the animal kingdom, then that helps people um, see these other animals more as equals and to not abuse them in the same way. So that's kind of where I'm looking at it from that perspective, that because these words are already understood. For example, you know, the, the word, even the term free will, which is a very stupid term, I'll admit, but because it has been debated fiercely throughout history, because there's so many books about it, it's just good that we use that term and describe why we don't think it exists, rather than just coming up with a different term. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think it's it's very good like to use words if they have a meaning and we can uh, we can you know obviously discuss it until we can agree on what is the one correct meaning of a word perhaps. Actually, at I would this have point... no problem. Ahead, I would say that I would have no problem saying that uh, a dog or a cat or a chimp or a higher mammal is conscious. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, the only problem I have is when you use that same exact term, which kind of implies a, a human-like consciousness of sentience right. and self-awareness, when you apply that to things like plants and inanimate objects like rocks or, or planets or, you know, uh, asteroids or galaxies, that's where I have the problem. Okay, but let's, let's stay with intelligence. So in other words, like, if we're going to, like, explore whether intelligence is a uniquely human and perhaps other animal property or whether it's more logically extended beyond that, we really have to come up with a precise understanding or definition of, of intelligence. So how are we defining intelligence? Uh, Non-Republican. <laughs> that, would, that would work, Mike, except that they win elections. <laughs> well... It's kind of interesting because notice that people disagree on what is an intelligent act and what isn't. That's another problem because somebody does something and one person will say, it was very intelligent for this person to do that thing. Another person will say, well, that was a stupid thing to do. So I think intelligence is, while I think I'm clear on what consciousness is, I'm not so sure about intelligence. Maybe it's an illusion. <laughs> Especially in America. I'm, I'm not clear on either. <laughs> I'm not clear on consciousness. I'm not clear on uh, intelligence as well. I think these are all very cloudy kind of terms, which is one of the reasons why I'm so uh, hesitant to apply these properties to entities such as the universe itself. Well, wait a minute, Mitch. But like, if you're ha hazy or cloudy about both consciousness and intelligence, why are you, are you, you seem to be very sure in terms of like, we human beings have it, 
but you know, other animals or the rest of the universe doesn't. No, I never said other animals don't have it at all. I, I'm very much in agreement with Mike. I'm, I'm saying, so you talked about pain, for example, right? So for a long time, in certain parts of the world, uh, even in Europe, right? Even in the, in the Middle Ages, really, um, people thought animals didn't feel pain. And the reason they came to understand that animals do feel pain is because of evidence. So, you know, what you're talking about, applying intelligence and consciousness to, uh, to the universe, to entities that we don't usually apply it to, I'm always willing to change my mind and uh, concede to strong evidence and a strong argument. I'm saying this seems like a lot of wishful thinking. All right, again. Universe, yeah, and there's right, no evidence sense, for it. What, what's, what's the, the, what would you consider the most intelligent human act that has ever been, you know, you know, or you know, one of them, if, if it's not the most, but certainly up there, aside from like leading the, the, the world to a categorically new consciousness through leading them to overcome the illusion of free will. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is the most intelligent act. Thank you. <laughs> well, I could offer, uh, well, just as one example, um, I mean, when Einstein came up with special relativity, I mean, to me, that was a pretty genius thing to do. It totally, it figured out a fundamental problem in physics that had been, you know, nagging scientists for hundreds of years, and it still holds up today under 110 years of empirical tests. And that's, a, that's an extraordinary event of a human being figuring out the secrets of the universe. Excellent. Okay, so like, you know, we, we can agree that that's an intelligent act. But here's the thing, now, like, compare that to to constructing to obviously planning and just like well i'm not going to say obviously because that's controversial but like to creating the human brain i mean the universe through this process of evolution and causality created this human brain um would, would we say that einstein's um discovery is a greater manifestation of intelligence than the the act of creating a human brain well, there's a there's a there's a problem I have with with, with I think the basic logic that you're you're talking about and where I think it's headed towards, and uh, if I may offer a, a critique of because I you're leaning towards you're kind of like pushing this towards like a, what a, what would be a panpsychism conclusion right of of what of the geniusness of Einstein or any or anybody else but uh, I just read this book um, just recently called uh, Why Does the World Exist about a philosopher's existential journey and it gets to at some point in touring the book it gets to panpsychism as a possible explanation for why does the world exist and it mentions something a problem with panpsychism that i i think at least to me makes it uh, a lot less less plausible and that is i don't know if you've heard of it it's called the combination problem have you ever heard of that no i haven't I can, I'll uh, I'll read it to you from the book. So the author the author asked this of the combination problem. He says, "How can many little bits of mind stuff combine to form a bigger mind? Your brain, for instance, is made up of a lot of elementary particles. According to the panpsychist, each of these elementary particles is a tiny center of proto consciousness, with its own presumably very simple mental states." Just what is it that makes all these micro-minds cohere into a macro-mind that is your own? And he goes on to uh, quote William James, who I think you mentioned earlier, who asked, uh, how can many consciousnesses be at the same time one consciousness? 
take a sentence of a dozen words and take 12 men and, and tell each of them one word, then stand the men in a row or jam them in a bunch and let each think of his own word as intently as he will. Nowhere will there, will, will there be a consciousness of the whole sentence. Private minds do not agglomerate into a higher mind. Well, my, Mike, I would agree with you completely on that, except like now apply that to, for example, the neurons in the human brain, which, which seem to have a, a kind of like a, a, a cellular consciousness, you know, under this panpsychism perspective, then combining, you know, within the human brain to form what we, you know, our brain kind of like perceives as consciousness, that it is a consciousness that, you know, that I, I think another answer to this may be that like you have these laws of nature, you know, the laws of nature govern everything. So even though a single cell or a particle or an atom may be conscious, um, consciousness does not mean decision making or processing. In other words, like, so even though, like, for example, my, uh, my hand may be conscious in the sense that it senses things, but the actions of my hand are governed by my brain. So in that same sense, sure, like the particles of the, the universe may be conscious, but that doesn't mean that they have a free will to determine what they do. But if, if every particle in the universe was a little tiny bit of consciousness, wouldn't then, since there's no delineation between your brain and the other atoms, it's all the same atoms, it's just the way they're arranged that, that we think at the macro scale that makes them different, wouldn't it be the case that all consciousness would kind of blend into one another if the whole, if every atom was a little tiny bit of consciousness? Well, I mean, from, from the experience of our brain, it seems like that's not the case because like, you know, um, and again, the, 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 um, the reasoning behind this is that consciousness, um, doesn't, um, all right, let me think. Um, so you're saying, and actually you may be right. You may be right. It, it may be the, 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 the combination of all these like, you know, um, cells of consciousness being directed by, you know, kind of like a processing center that, you know, I guess that that's another question is, is in terms of what that would be. But yeah, it may be that like the consciousness emerges as as the um you know as as um kind of like Jung's collective unconscious that you know we all have individual unconsciousnesses, but perhaps there's like this kind of like a manifest you know collective unconscious. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is because yeah, I think there's a distinction between you know a whole collective universal one consciousness that's one mind and the very just basically a whole bunch of little minds inside little cells and stuff like that because i tend to fall under the idea that there, that there is like a, a little bit of consciousness um in all of these tiny living things and it's through the agreement and working together of these small things that bigger things are made and i've used the example before that you know just like human organization, countries or companies or you know grocery stores, whatever, are made up of a bunch of a bunch of employees and a bunch of teams of them working together. And I think it's fair to say that just as say um, humans and other animals can work together in teams, um, so can the smallest of matter. 
And I still don't, I don't necessarily think that that's an argument for pantheism. I think it, and it's not even panpsychism. It's just that there is living conscious matter rather than saying that all is conscious, you know, or all is intelligent, but at least that there is quite a bit of it. Do you have when any saying- evidence for these claims? Well, um, I'll admit that perhaps not. And when you say, um, the atoms are conscious. You're using consciousness in what exact way? You're not using it as in, in a way of we mean like sentient self-awareness, right? You're using it in, to mean a different kind of consciousness, right? A yes. weaker, a weaker claim of consciousness. Yeah, Mike, you bring up a good point. In other words, like self-awareness, I think, is a more advanced form of consciousness, as is sentience. You know, that is limited to to more advanced, you know, organisms with more advanced structures. But again, like the consciousness that, that we're kind of like addressing, it's interesting because like, okay, then it, it takes us to like, Chandler, in your example, you're saying that like collections of atoms and collections of people can kind of like decide to do things, you know, together. And, but, and, and understanding it's not a free choice because there's a cause or reason why they do, but and nonetheless. That's, that was going to be my point, Chandler. In other words, yes, so like, yes, combinations of, of people, atoms, of, of organisms, whatever, may, you know, come together to achieve things that we might define as intelligent, whatever. But yes, you know, we have to consider that none of the, neither singularly nor in the collective, would they, would they have a free will. So then again, we, we have to um, attribute whatever they do to the puppeteer, to what's, what's making them do that. And, and the thing is, the puppeteer is also a puppet. <laughs> No, no, I mean, I'm, the puppeteer, the, the way I'm saying it is kind of like this, this process of causality that, you know, seems to regress, you know, back eternally, you know, what, at that point, it seems to transcend logic. But, you know, it's like the, the laws of nature, we, we can like understand that the laws of nature govern everything. So I think we can say that maybe the laws of nature are the puppeteer. But one, one uh, puzzle, the puzzle, uh, that I, I don't understand, though, about your view, George, is that when you were talking earlier, you were saying that a, a, an intelligent act that a person does can be, if you if you do the, the regress of the causality, it, 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 it at least terminates in the universe. But if, if only the kind of intelligence involved with human thinking and interaction exists in the brain of the person, then how is it the universe that is ultimately causal that? It, it would seem that if the, if the level of intelligence and sentience doesn't exist in nature, then how can you say that the uh, intelligent act committed by a person can be reduced or going back into the causal chain, go back to the universe? All right, excellent question. I, I think that relates to the, the properties of the universe as like defined as like being everything and everywhere and governing everything and everywhere. So like so if we if we start with those two postulates, then I think we have to conclude that in order to govern everything, um, the universe has to be aware of everything. And okay. like, sorry, please finish your thoughts. I'm sorry. Right. So that so that that awareness, you know, and um, at um, in combination with this process of causality would would lead one to 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 um, to uh, hypothesize that the universe is conscious of what it is evolving or what it is creating. 
Um, and I just wanted to point out a, a funny little thing because we were talking about the universe being hungry and eating earlier. And, and so here's the deal. Since the, the universe is everything that exists, then when we eat something else, so if I eat broccoli, then that means that I am the universe eating itself. Yeah, <laughs> you, this is exactly <laughs> See, it's, it's funny, but, you know, in a sense, you make a good point. This is exactly the kind of thing that I want to avoid. And this is where, again, as I spoke of, I know George thought it was a little bit unfair, but I, I would have to disagree. I think this is very similar to the kind of uh, thought process that some ap apologists engage in. You know, we're yeah, saying... But, but Mitch, that's if, a rhetorical editorial argument. It's not a logical argument. I understand your position, but it doesn't advance your case. Right. Well, see, here's the deal, guys. Even, I'm not a big fan of creationism as advanced by Christian apologists because they are trying to make arguments and make cases in such a way as to ju justify eternal hellfire and all that crazy stuff and trying to get people into their religion and convert everybody. Um... Whereas that's not even what we're doing. I don't think that's what George is doing. And, and bit, Mitch, yeah, I want. That's... I just want to say, I want. I agree with you. I. I just. I am very against creationism. I think it's complete nonsense. So, like, you know, I need. I think you need to understand that. You know, we share that that same perspective. No, well, that, that's not really the point I'm trying to make. So, for, so, um, just give me a moment to collect my thoughts here. So, 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 what I mean is. Um, it's okay to say, as, as we all do, right, it's okay to say you don't know something. And I think what's necessary to, con I don't think, uh, I think what's necessary next, right? So you have this hypothesis about consciousness, about intelligence. And I think what's necessary now is to find evidence. So first you need to state what kind of behavior you would expect to find and then show evidence that you find it. All right, that's that's a great point. Now we're at the twenty-eight and a half minute mark. Let's say, how about like we do a part three and we start out with actually defining what intelligence is? Because you're right, like you know, uh, we have to be very clear about what we mean by intelligence if we're going to explore it with any kind of cogency. Perhaps we should end this impersonal opinion episode, and we'll continue in the future. Sounds great. Sure, sure. You've been listening to impersonal opinion, um, the podcast where we don't take our opinions personally. And it's just been crazy all this talk about consciousness and intelligence, and we have we have some strong disagreements among our groups. So we're gonna keep doing more episodes until we can finally uh, understand each other at least, even though we may not ever fully agree. <laughs> but we don't take anything personally. That's the whole goal. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>